Overview to the Romantic Period in England The term Romantic Period usually refers to the period from about 1780 to 1830, roughly from the time of the poet William Blake and the French Revolution that began in 1789, to the first Reform Bill just a few years before Queen Victoria's reign begins in 1837. I want to emphasize again that these literary periods have been established more or less for the convenience of scholars. They provide a handy way to refer to literature from different eras. However, it's not as if poets in the 1820s walked around saying things like, Here we are in the Romantic period. In fact, the term Romantic period was coined during the Victorian period later in the 19th century. We often use the dates 1780 to 1830, which rounds nicely to 50 years. 1780 is close enough to the French Revolution of 1789 and also gets us to the time when William Blake was writing. At the other end of the time period, Queen Victoria actually began her reign in 1837. But a few years earlier than that, we see the first reforms of Parliament, which begin to allow larger numbers of people to vote in elections. That first reform bill, as it's called, was passed in 1832. So, the half-century from 1780 through 1830 is a time of tumultuous political, social, and artistic change. Let's begin with the French Revolution. This was an event that caused tremendous upheaval. It was perceived not as just another revolution, but as a break from the past, a break in historical continuity. It had much more impact on European culture than the American colonial revolution because it was a different kind of revolution. It brought about a new way of thinking about history. For the first time, history began to be seen as a distinct academic discipline. The French Revolution represented a threat to the established order and even ushered in a new calendar, the French Revolutionary Calendar, an attempt to de-Christianize the calendar by declaring the year 1793 the year one. That calendar had 12 months of 30 days each, followed by five or six additional days. But each month was divided not into weeks, but decades of ten days, with the final day being the day of rest. So this was very unpopular, representing nine days between rest days as opposed to six. The French Revolutionary calendar was abolished in 1806, but it does serve as an important symbol of this break from the past. The French Revolution was also seen as a contagion or infection that could spread, and actually did, to Germany, Italy, and Switzerland. So the disease metaphor was common in many writings about the revolution. The French Revolution began in promise, supported by many radicals at home in England, but attitudes, even among radicals, began to shift with the September 1792 massacres and the Reign of Terror. It led to political repression at home in the 1790s. For example, in 1794, habeas corpus was suspended in England and some prominent radicals were put on trial. 
The French Revolution also led to a rights of man controversy echoed by Tom Paine and others. Mary Wollstonecraft and the so-called blue stockings or intellectual women extended this principle to the rights of woman, for example, Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Woman. The French Revolution also helped to raise awareness of the issue of slavery and the slave trade. During this period, we also see a noticeable shift from an agriculture to an industrial economy in England. Poor harvests, food shortages, economic downturns, and the concentration of common lands used for farming into large estates, the so-called Enclosure Acts, drove many people from the rural areas into the growing cities, especially factory and mining towns. Technology allowed the textile mills and looms to be more automated, which threw people out of work and prompted labor unrest, riots, and the destruction of many of the factory machines. We get the term Luddites from one of these movements whose leader was named Ned Ludd. They were also called frame breakers because they broke the frames or automated looms in the textile factories. Long hours, long days, and child labor were common, especially in the mines, where children as young as five could haul coal in the confined places, and in industries such as chimney sweeping, which William Blake condemns in his writing. Child labor and long hours threatened the institution of the family. The growing population had little or no representation in Parliament. Some large industrial cities, such as Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, and Sheffield, had no votes in Parliament at all, while the so-called rotten boroughs, tiny villages of only a handful of homes owned by one landlord, had one or even two representatives in Parliament. This is what the reform bills mentioned earlier attempted to address. In August 1819, a peaceful rally of almost 100,000 mill workers and their families, many of them veterans of the Battle of Waterloo, calling for parliamentary reform and a repeal of laws that kept bread prices high, was broken up by the ruling class, who sent militia, many of them drunk, into the crowd with their sabers, killing at least 11 and wounding almost 400 This became known as the Peterloo Massacre because it took place in St. Peter's Field outside Manchester and is an obvious play on Waterloo. The event was satirized in a poem by Shelley that we'll read called England in 1819. A few notes about the Regency period, 1810 to 1820. King George III, that's the same King George against whom the Americans rebelled, ruled from 1760 to 1820. But by 1810, his bouts of insanity had become so severe that he was unable to rule, and his son, Prince George, later King George IV, ruled in his name as Prince Regent. This period was characterized by a renaissance in art and architecture, but by aristocratic excess. Prince George himself led a very dissolute life and amassed debts of thousands of pounds. The Napoleonic Wars occurred during this decade, and there was much social unrest and stratification of social classes. 
industrialization caused, in addition to social unrest, pollution and environmental impacts. The population increase also meant growth in the reading public. There was an explosion in magazines, mainly literary periodicals and books, especially novels. Some popular novelists, such as Anne Radcliffe and Sir Walter Scott, sold books by the thousands, received large advances from publishers, and spawned dozens of cheap imitations. Some novelists, including many female novelists such as Mary Shelley and Jane Austen, have never been out of print and continue to sell well after nearly 200 years. Circulating libraries, analogous to video rental stores, also increased during this period.